0: Have your Bibles. We're going to go to First Samuel chapter number twenty-two, where we were last Sunday night. Last Sunday night, we uh, we looked at pitfalls for every leader. And uh, Pastor and we were chatting on on some some things with Barnabas ten forty on Friday on the phone, and he said he said that message Sunday night that was such a help to me. And I was number one encouraged. A man that's been preaching the Word of God for forty years takes the time to tune in either live or at another time during his week. And he said he said I really hope you'll consider. I uh, really a leader worth pitfalls. That's not the uh, that's not the name of the title here today. I'm going to call our our slide man and uh, that does our designs there, but. Uh, they took last week and forgot to change one word there, but it's no, nobody on staff, and it's not a problem. It's, it's all right. But uh, I didn't look at the slides today. Normally, I review all the slides. I did for this morning. I didn't review tonight's. So that's my fault. I should have gone on my email this afternoon and reviewed those. But uh, he said, you need to write a book. And I thought, Pastor Tom, I got enough on my—you need to write a book about this, from this series of messages. I said, Pastor Thompson, I got enough going on. I, don't, I, don't, I barely can figure out what to preach every week. I don't know how I would write a book, but I, I've enjoyed— this series, and I hope it's been a help to you. I think it's almost done. I think we have two more messages, and, uh, and we'll be done with this study on the life of King Saul. Uh, this is message number 17 in this series, and uh, Saul's life and leadership are inextricably linked with David. Where you find Saul, very quickly you find David, and their their lives, their leadership, their stories, they run, and there are all kinds of intersections in their lives. And of course, David um, did much for the kingdom of Saul. Of course, David is going to—he's going to take over uh, for Saul when, when, when Saul dies. David was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And, uh, and most of this series has focused on Saul and lessons we can learn, and hopefully pitfalls we can avoid. There have been a couple in these 17 messages where we've highlighted and contrasted the life of David and lessons that we can learn from him. Tonight is one of those nights. Last week we looked at pitfalls for every leader. The pitfall of comparison, of suspicion, of, accusa- of accusation, of guilt. Of overreaction, those pitfalls in the life of King Saul. We're gonna be in 1 Samuel 22, we're gonna move through a couple of chapters, but tonight we're gonna to see some characteristics, not pitfalls for every leader, but some characteristics of a leader worth following. A leader worth following. And, uh, and, and tonight we're going to take a look at some things from King David's life. I don't know about you. But it's my desire that God would allow me to have a godly influence in the lives that He entrusts to my care. For me, that would include my wife and children. I want to be a leader worth following to my wife and kids. Now I can't force, and I don't know that uh, every, every person has a sin nature and a free will. Doesn't mean that, that, that my wife or children will always follow those things, and, or that I'll always be a leader worth following, but that's my desire. I want to be a leader worth following. Uh, in our, I want to be a leader worth following in our church family, and for our school family, for our staff family, for my friends and other co-laborers. My desire is that my involvement in their lives—those that God allows me to have some level of influence with—that my desire would be a net positive, not a net negative. That they would be iron sharpened by iron, that their lives would be better, and and that they would grow in their love for God, and their love for His Word, and love for His people. And then the same with those in my life that sharpen me. I want to be a leader worth following. As John Maxwell famously said, if you think you're leading but no one is following, you're only taking a walk. I don't just want to take a walk as a pastor, or as a husband, or as a dad, or as a friend. I want to be someone that is is helping to bring others uh, to the next level in their lives, as I'm seeking to do that in my life and others in my life that are sharpening me to do the same. So, tonight, let's take a look at David's leadership. At this point in 1 Samuel 22, he is the king-elect, if you will, but he's not yet the king. He really has no power. He has no position. He has no national authority. He has no leverage in anyone's life. No official position, but yet he has great influence in the lives of hundreds of people. There are hundreds of people who have willingly and joyfully decided to follow David when he was nothing more than really a man on the run. A man running for his life, and yet there was something about him, or several things about him, and that, that caused men to be willing to want to follow this man that could offer them nothing. He was leading in this passage, we'll see, hundreds of men, and from these hundreds there is an even smaller group of special forces, if you will, that we call David's mighty men. A group of, about, of a little less than 40, about 37 men that David rallied around him. Men that became bold, courageous, loyal, and committed. Men who did things like one of them killed a lion. One of them killed 300 men at one time. One of, uh, Three of them, they heard David say, and just kind of longing, oh, how I wish I could have a drink of cold water from that well in Bethlehem. Basically he was saying, I wish I could be back home. I wish I didn't have to be on the run. I wish I didn't have to face these hardships. And three of these men, they went behind enemy lines and, and fought against the Philistines just to go to get a cup of cold water from that well and bring it back to him. What What bravery, what courage, what love they had for David. Uh, One of these men killed 800 men with his spear. One defended a plot of barley land all by himself. One killed a 12-fingered giant. The Bible has some weird stories that, that gives us that detail there. And here in 1 Samuel 22, David really had nothing to offer them, but he was still able to gather around him a group of 400 men that would grow quickly to 600 to work with him and helping him accomplish God's purposes for his and their lives. Sounds like a pretty impressive group of guys. Military conquests and some amazing victory, some amazing bravery. Sounds like a pretty impressive group of guys that David gathered around him. What kind of men were they? I want us to begin in 1 Samuel 22. Let's look at verse number 1. 1 Samuel 22, verse number 1. David, therefore, departed thence and escaped to cave Adullam. Doesn't sound all that uh, illustrious here. David's leading his home office as a cave out in the wilderness. And when his brethren and his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Would you read verse number 2 aloud? 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. Ready? Begin. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt And everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about four hundred men." The Bible alliterates the outline for us right there in verse number two. Those that were distressed, in debt, and discontented. That doesn't sound like what I would choose to build my group of followers around me with. A bunch of failures. A bunch of guys that were struggling through life, just like David was. And may I just stop, and this is not the message, but may I just stop here and say, if you're a leader and you don't feel like you have much to offer or much to work with in your life, David's life and leadership is an encouragement. Because David didn't have much to offer, and those that were following him weren't, weren't high on the headhunter's list of stealing them over to the other company. These guys were distressed, discontented, and in debt. And these are the ones that he gathered around him. But here's what I see in the life of David. Keep investing in people, and you'll be amazed what humble beginnings can turn into, what you can accomplish together, even with a seemingly ragtag group of people. I enjoy sports, as you know, and this year, the NBA champions were the Milwaukee Bucks. They won their first, uh, uh, their first NBA championship in 47 years. And uh, uh, we're, we're living in the age in the NBA of what they call the super team. And so, basically, if you're really good and your team is not winning a championship, and you want to win a championship, you force a trade to the other team that has the other all-stars on it, and we just try to make a team full of all-stars and see if we can win the championship that way. And that's fine, I'm not against it, it is what it is. And there are probably two, three, depending on how you define it, two, three, four super teams in the NBA where they've gathered several all-stars, maybe even a couple of future Hall of Famers on the same team. They forced their way out of the team that drafted them, they left the team they were with so that they could join Join up with another uh, one of the top players, and let's go win a championship together. Well, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's not how they built their team, and that's not how they won their championship. They definitely were, are not, in my opinion, a super team that has just gathered a bunch of future Hall of Famers that have chosen to go live in Milwaukee. And, uh, and, and and when you could live in Miami or Los Angeles, why would you want to live in Milwaukee? And so they've not gathered a lot of those folks to Milwaukee, but as I was reading uh, or I was, I, was, I was, during that time, I saw on social media or somewhere, I saw this meme, and we'll throw this graphic up there, and it showed the team photo. Do we have that back there, RC, or no? Yeah, there it is. It showed the team photo from seven years ago. There are two circles there. Number 22 is a player by the name of Chris Middleton. 34 is Giannis, however you say his last name, and it's a, it's a Greek name that's hard to pronounce for me, but this team— had the worst record in the league seven years ago. These two players had the worst overall rating on the video game that came out that year. And seven years later, these two players have just led the Bucks to their first NBA Finals in 47 years. Giannis, number 34, he was named NBA Finals MVP, is definitely one of the best players in the world now. Seven years ago, life didn't look very good for these two leaders, they were surrounded by a bunch of losers, a bunch of failures. And what did they do? They said, let's work hard. Let's invest in some others. Let's build some folks around us and let's see what can happen. And a reminder, I kind of in some ways, see some parallels here with David. uh, This idea that even if in business or in church planning or a church revitalization or in your home might not seem like the most promising future, stay faithful, work hard, love people, invest in others— and let God do some amazing things. Tonight's a simple message and I don't have to be long, but I want us to see what kind of leader was David that these men followed him when he could offer them nothing of material value or career advancement. What kind of leader should we seek to be? I'm gonna give us tonight just uh, five, I'm sorry, six things here tonight and we'll be on our way. Number one, I see here, David was an accepting leader. Do you see it there in verse two? Who did he let on his team—debt, distress, discontented. Maybe because David remembered how he had been rejected because of how he looked. I don't know why. Maybe David had a soft spot in his heart for the underdog, for the one that everybody else thought wasn't worthy because that was who he was. His own dad didn't think he was worthy to be king. Do you remember the story? His own dad didn't bring him in when, when they came, when Samuel came to find the next king of Israel. He was willing to work with and love and lead those that others like Saul may have cast off as inferior and unworthy. And may I say, this doesn't mean when I mean accepting. Well, that's just the way I am. And as a leader, we never correct, or we never train, or we never, as parents, we never help our kids uh, get rid of bad habits. And well, you're supposed to be accepting mom and dad. This is just me. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is love people where they are. Yes, we have to, as leaders, find what's not going well so that we can fix it, but we shouldn't only always be finding what's not going well. We talked about this last week. Saul could never find anything good in the life of his son, Jonathan. As leaders, learn to love those that God has given. There is a time for correction and guidance, but be careful that we are not always critical and overbearing, always pointing out what is wrong. Number two. I see here about David, he was not only an accepting leader, but a godly leader. Look at chapter 23, verse number 1. Follow along, please, at a few verses here. Chapter 23, verse number 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they robbed the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, You see that? Inquired of the Lord. You'll see this as you read 1 Samuel. When David needs to know what to do in his life, where to go, what direction to head, he goes to God. Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines. Verse 3, And David's men said unto him, here's who David has to work with, David's mighty men. What does he say? Do you see it in verse 3? They said unto him, Behold, we be what? We be what? We be afraid here in Judah, how much more than if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? So before we think, well, David just had an all-star team around him, these guys are like, I'm scared in my house. How can I go fight out there? I'm scared here in this cave. I'm scared where you've got me. I'm scared here. And notice verse number four. Then David inquired of the Lord yet again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. Notice this, verse five. So David and his men went. They followed David's faith. They followed David's obedience and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah, and it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of uh, Ahimelech—let's skip down for the sake of time. Go to verse number nine. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. Saul finds out where David is. Verse number 10, then said David, O Lord, God of Israel, thy servant hath heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as I've heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then said David, will the men deliver me and my men into his hand? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee. Then David and his men, which were now about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped and he forbear to go forth. What do we see here with King David, not yet King David, with leader David? He was a, a godly man. God, what would you have me to do? God, direct my steps. God, what decision do you want me to make? My decisions affect these men. Are they going, is, 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 are the men of Keilah going to give us up to King Saul? Is this going to impact their lives negatively? God, my men are afraid, but if you say go, I'll go. And they followed him. But now, God, I'm responsible for these lives. Are they gonna? And David was a man that sought God in his leadership. And those that followed him saw this. I believe one of the reasons they could become David's mighty men was because they won some early victories here when they were scared to death. And God gave them some courage and faith as they followed David. Those that followed him saw his godliness, his love for the Lord, a man after God's own heart. They respected this, and they began to practice this in their own lives. Godly people want to follow godly leaders. Godly people need godly leaders. Godly leaders will influence others to be godly. So here's the question, a leader worth following at work, at home, at church, are you a godly leader? Is your testimony that which it should be when you get with a group of friends? Do you talk about the things you ought to talk about? Do you you, uh, treat each other the way that you ought to treat each other? Do you talk about others the way that you ought to talk about others? Do you go to the places you ought to go and do the things you ought to do? Can your children or friends or coworkers or or siblings respect you? Not only was he an accepting leader and a godly leader, but number three, he was an honorable leader. Skip over to the next chapter, please, and you can go back, and I read, I read all, most of 1 Samuel this week a couple of times, and once last week in preparation. You can read through and get the big picture. For the sake of time, we'll skip. Look at 1 Samuel 24, verse number 1. And it came to pass, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Some spies keep telling Saul where David is. Then Saul, do you see it in verse 2? Saul took how many men out of Israel? How many? 3,000. David has 600. He went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep goats. By the way, there was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet went in to use the restroom, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately, secretly, covert Navy seal operation there. And all of those around him are telling him, spiritualizing, saying, God gave you this chance, kill him now. This is what everybody around him is saying. The men that love him, kill him now. God did this. Look at verse number six. Verse number five, it says, It came to pass afterward, after he cut that off, that piece of material off of Saul's robe, that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed. By the way, the Lord's anointed here, had tried to kill David on three separate occasions. What a spirit. My Lord, he said, uh, uh, he said that I should do this, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth. David knows this might be the end. He might get killed here. Saul is literally in that spot to try to kill him. That's why he's there. And he bowed himself, and David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words? Who are you listening to, Saul? Why do you believe what people are telling you? That David seeks your hurt, verse 9. Verse 10, Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, the skirt of thy robe in thy hand. For that I in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand. I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. David bows down and he says, Saul, what, what's the deal? Why do you keep following me? He said, Look at this. I could have killed you if I wanted to. And he holds up a piece of his skirt. And I, I imagine Saul looking at it and looking down. Oh man, that is my that is my part of my robe. He could have killed me just now. That could have been my, my last moments on earth. Verse number 12 the Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. I'm leaving it in the Lord's hands. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. I'm bigger than that. What do we see here? Here we see David's integrity. His faith in God. He didn't take matters into his own hands. His willingness to do what was right, even when friends were encouraging him to do otherwise. May I say this? You can be sure that those that encouraged him to kill Saul took note and said, There's something different about that man. And if he can be trusted to make the right decision in that situation, I can follow him anywhere because he'll make the right decision for me in times of distress and stress, no matter what happens. That honorable leader, he stood up, he did what was right. Even when doing what was wrong, everyone around him, nobody would have thought a thing about it. He would have been justified in it. He did what was right. Those we lead are watching and learning with how we respond to the difficult valleys and trials of life, to critics and others who try to hurt us. When we're faced with these situations, do we respond with honesty and integrity or with vengeance and fleshliness? Do we criticize our critics or do we, do we hurt those who seek to hurt us? Do we stoop to their level or do we take the high road? Do we give honor to where honor is due? Love where, where we can. David here, a leader worth following. I believe as you study and these men would would go and literally give their lives for David, it started as they saw he loves us for who we are. Nobody else does. Wow, he loves God like nobody I've ever seen. And this man, he does what's right when everything around him is screaming, do what's wrong. An honorable leader, number four. Number four, what do I see as we study here? A leader with following. Number four, he was a humble leader. Verse number 14 Verse number 14 there of chapter 24, after whom is the king of Israel come out? Who are you coming after? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? The Lord therefore be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. What did David say? I'm nobody, Saul. What a contrast to Saul. What was Saul's biggest downfall? His pride. By the way, God, for all intents and purposes, had already taken the kingdom away from Saul. It was David's to be had. If David had been lifted up in pride, he would have killed Saul right there and said, let's start my reign right now. I deserve that throne. But David said, I'm nobody. I'm just a servant of God, and God's in control, and God can do with me what he wants to do with me, and God can take care of Saul the way that he wants to take care of Saul. It's not my job to take care of Saul. It's my job to be David. And what does he say to King Saul? You're the king. I respect who you are. I bow down before you. What am I? I'm a dead dog. I'm a flea. I'm nothing. The humility that he showed as a leader, don't get lifted up in pride. What does what the Bible say? It's talking about Saul, when thou wast little in thine own sight. When we stay small, God can stay big in our lives and leadership, church. But may I say this? God will not share his glory. When we get big in our own eyes, you can be sure a destructive fall is coming. When we get lifted up in pride, look at me, and look at what I can do, and look at what I've accomplished, and look at what I've built, and look at how far I've achieved. Oh, you can be sure there's going to be some destruction in our relationships. David cared for those he led. Saul cared for himself. David was selfless. Saul, selfish. David was worried about people. Saul was worried about power and position. David viewed things in light of God's kingdom. Saul viewed things in light of his own kingdom. David used his kingdom to build others. Saul used others to build his kingdom. David cared about personal relationships. Saul didn't care what relationships he lost, including his own son. Pride in our lives, pride demotes, pride destroys, pride divides. What does the Bible say? Humble yourself, and you'll be exalted. Exalt yourself, and you'll be humbled. Pride demotes. Pride pride destroys. Pride goeth before a fall, and a haughty spirit before destruction. Pride divides. Only by pride cometh contention. Mom and dad, humble yourself in front of your kids. Teens, humble yourself to your parents and your siblings. Teacher, humble yourself in front of your students. Pastor, humble yourself in front of God's people. Husband, humble yourself in front of your wife. It's okay to admit you made a mistake. Not only is it okay, it's good. Isn't that what David did? His heart smote him. As soon as he cut it off, Rodney, I know I shouldn't have done that. This is not my place. This is God's place. God can take care of Saul the way he wants to. His heart smote him. What did he do in front of Saul and every one of his followers? What did he do? I did wrong. I shouldn't have done this. You didn't deserve this. He humbled himself. David's heart smote him, and he admitted his wrong action and his wrong spirit. And here's what we think. Well, if I humble myself, then I lose everyone's respect. I get demoted in their eyes. Here's the way it works when you humble yourself, what does God do? He exalts you. He exalted David after he humbled himself here. Number five, number five, a faith-filled leader. Skip over to chapter number 26. In chapter 25, Samuel dies. Chapter number 26, David spares Saul again. He gets another chance to kill him. Look in verse number two. Saul's still coming after David, even after all that. And then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having three thousand chosen men of Israel to seek David. And Saul pitched, verse three, in the hill of Hekila, which is before all of those names. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of his host, and Saul lay in the trench. And the people pitched round about him, verse six. Then answered David and said to To Ahimelech and to Abishai, brother uh, to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I'll go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping in the trench, his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, Look at this verse 8. God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. We have to do right over and over again. We have to lead and make good decisions over and over again. We're going to be tempted to do wrong multiple times. Now, therefore, this time, last time they said, David, God delivered him into your hand. Kill him. Now, what does he say? God delivered him in your hand. Let me kill him. I think he knew David's not going to kill him. Let me do your dirty work, David. Verse 8. He said, now, therefore, let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. What does he say? It's not going to take two times. I'm going to get him with the first shot. I don't need two bullets. I don't need two two tries with the spear. Verse 9, and David said to Abishai, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, here it is, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. What does God say? He tells one of his future mighty men, Abishai, who would become one of the most decorated mighty men in David's special forces. He tells him, what does he tell him? He says, leave it in God's hands. Trust God. Trust God. Do what's right before God when no one's watching, Abishai. Live according to God's wisdom, not your own, Abishai. God is big enough to handle it. Trust him. By the way, Abishai would remain, after this, a loyal leader in David's armies. He would spare David's life when a Philistine giant had David about to to kill him. He would would lead a battle where his men would kill 18,000 Edomites for David. David was teaching Abishai what it was to lead in ways of righteousness, even when no one was watching and when no one would have blamed him for doing what felt right. Later, when David's own son Absalom turned on him, Abishai would remain loyal. David, God's big enough. Let's trust him, Abishai, a faith-filled leader. And then lastly, an imperfect leader. Look at verse number 27. I'm sorry, chapter 27. Last two verses we'll look at chapter 27 verses 1 and 2. And David said in his heart, look at this. I want you to read verses 1 and 2 aloud with me. Ready? Begin. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. The people that David, as a shepherd boy, had led a victorious battle in, in killing Goliath, David gets to a place of discouragement. And by the way, after God had done so many mighty works for him, God had delivered him from Saul over and over and over again. And he gets to a place where he says, he's going to get me. He's going to kill me. You know what? I'm just going to go with the God-haters. I'm just going to go live amongst the God-haters. I'm just going to go to the Philistines. I'm going to live with the land of the Philistines. What do we see here? Even in a leader worth following, there are seasons and some low points. There are struggles. There is no such thing as the perfect leader. Husbands, give your wife some space and grace. Wives, give your husband some space and grace. Parents, give your children some grace. Children, give your parents some grace. Pastor, give the people some grace. People, give the pastor some grace. Employee, give the employer some grace. Employer, give the employee some grace. What do we see? Even David, even David here faltered in his leadership, in his faith in God. He made a carnal decision in a moment of discouragement. You say, well, I want to be a leader worth following, but I messed up here, and I I lost my cool there, and I messed up there, and I'm not happy about that, and I've done the same. Don't say, well, I messed it up there, so that's just who I am. No, but understand, give yourself some grace. There is no such thing as the perfect fill-in-the-blank anything. And we see here with David, even a leader worth following will have lapses in their leadership at times. And just like that leader loved you and invested in you in spite of your weaknesses, love them in their times of weakness. Kids, it's a good thing to remember about your parents. They've loved you and cared for you and you were unlovely. Do your best to give them some grace in their times of weakness and their lapses of maturity. Parents, the same for your children. We could continue on. Spouses with their mates. We're all imperfect people, perfect, imperfect leaders who will struggle in certain seasons, but may we strive to embody some of what we see in these chapters in David's life, characteristics that are in great contrast to King Saul. Be an accepting leader. Love people where they're at and try to bring them to that next level. Love them and believe in them. When they're scared to death, lead them in faith and show them that God can work in their lives. Sometimes people need someone to believe in them in ways they can't believe in themselves. People need to see something in somebody that they have a hard time seeing in themselves. Be an accepting leader. Be a godly leader. Be an honorable leader. Those that we serve are watching how we respond in our darkest moments. Be a humble leader. Be a faith-filled leader. Give it to God. He's stronger than we'll ever be. And remember, you will be an imperfect leader. And that's okay. God gives grace, and he'll bring David back to where he needs to be. David didn't have to demand respect and fellowship. People joyfully and willingly signed up to serve with him. I don't know about you, but that's what I desire in my areas of influence. That people would joyfully and willingly want to serve alongside of me whether that's at home, at work, at church, whatever it might be, in the community, in my family. And David had nothing to offer him, but hundreds gave their lives. We could pull some other characteristics out, but I think those are enough for us to ponder on tonight and to carry with us and ask ourselves, am I a person worth following? Do I look a little more like Saul or a little more like David, or even better, a little more like Jesus, the ultimate leader that people Want to follow why? Because he's an accepting leader. He loves us where we're at, but he doesn't leave us there. And of course, he's a humble leader. He humbled himself. All of those things that we see, let's seek to be that in the relationships God has given us. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.